Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, everybody. We finally, finally have some games to recap from yesterday. It would appear that my lighting is just a tad extreme. We're going to bring that down to a more mellow, sexy, dare I say? Lighting situation here in my uh, bedroom slash office slash bathroom slash cave. That's better. That's better. Not too shiny. I'm a pasty fellow. I'm fully aware of that. I am what you'd call pink of skin. But I don't need to illuminate that for everybody to see. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. It's Thursday. Uh, Just one show today. We've been going heavy on the episodes these days, but only one show today. Find me over on social, at Dan Bespris. Um, You know, a few years ago, I didn't think that I would care about this sort of thing, but now I'll fully admit I do. I'm at 19,703 Twitter followers, and I want to get to 20. I know, it's embarrassing. I shouldn't care, but social media gets this grip on you. And now that I have this, what you'd call very niche level fame, now I want it. Now I crave it like a weirdo. So, if you could help out on that front, go drop a follow over on x.com to at Dan Bespris. I'd be most appreciative. This is, of course, a Sports Ethos presentation. Fantasy NBA Today always is a Sports Ethos presentation. That site is sportsethos.com. And... The Twitter handle for all your NBA news is Ethos Fantasy BK. By the way, we are uh, looping up around on baseball in the not too distant future. Yankees acquired Juan Soto yesterday, so the hot stove is warm. And uh, Joe Orico and his amazing baseball team will start having content pumping out for you here basically right after the new year. I know he's got a show going right now, but it's almost baseball fantasy draft time. So that's pretty cool. Other good stuff going on over at Sports Ethos. That's Ethos Fantasy BB for baseball. If you want to go follow them as well. Uh, But let's dive right in because we actually have some things to recap today. That's fun. We didn't for a while there. Kind of mellow level recapping. 11 games yesterday and lots of injury-related stuff. And basically any game where we don't have an obvious one is a small victory in the grand scheme of things. And that first one almost had an injury. Daniel Gafford left early, came back, however, just before halftime and ended up putting up another terrific fantasy line. He did also foul out in 23 minutes because that's the magic of Joel Embiid. But I mean, Washington kept this game competitive, which was kind of fun for everybody because it meant that Embiid went for a 50 spot. There's just nobody that could guard him on that other side. They had, they had Danilo Gallinari trying to guard Embiid for a while. DeAnthony Melton, remember when you guys were asking if you should drop DeAnthony Melton? This is why you don't. He's inside the top 80 now after that slow start. Kelly Oubre made his return from injury, played 19 and a half minutes, had 12 points, three boards, and an assist. Looked a little rusty, but overall pretty good. I would say make sure he's not on your waiver wire because I think as we settle in here, his minutes will trend back towards that 26 to 31 range. And he played relatively well even after the Harden trade before getting hurt. It wasn't obviously as big as when guys were out and Harden was sitting and they didn't have Batum and Covington and whoever else, Marcus Morris. Because those guys combined played something like 51 minutes yesterday. But Uber is going to take some of those minutes back. I also think we're in a little bit of a buy low on Tobias Harris for whatever that's worth. He started the year super hot just like he did last season. He's now cooled a tad. He'll be okay, just kind of finding his space. And honestly, in this ballgame, anybody taking a shot besides Embiid was kind of a win for the Wizards because Joel was fully unstoppable. Anyway, make sure Batum, or uh, make sure Ubre is not floating around on your waiver wire. As far as the Wizards go, if they can keep games close, we can get okay fantasy lines. Tyus Jones had 20 points and 8 assists with a steal and 2 blocks. Fantastic line from Tyus. And this is why I cannot ever advise a drop on this dude. 
Because if the Wizards, and they're, the Wizards are at about 50% of their games have been competitive this year. If that number was just 55% right now, Tyus Jones would be inside the top 100. As it stands, he's at 103 on Basketball Monster, which, I mean, honestly, that's as close as you can get without actually being inside the top 100. But I think you guys sort of get what I'm, what I'm not at all hinting at here, which is that there just aren't that many guys floating around out there that have that level of upside, meaning all his team needs to do is remain competitive until the final two minutes of a basketball game, and Tyus Jones is a top 75 or better play. Yahoo actually has him ranked number 94. See, he's actually inside the top 100 on Yahoo right now. It just sort of depends on what metric you're looking at. And guys are all so bunched together, as, of course, a garbage truck goes by. Guys are so bunched together that the difference between 103 and 94 is basically negligible. It's like one steal for Tyus Jones so far. So, I mean, that's basically the same thing. 103, 94, those guys are separated by nothing. That's the same separation as, like, one slot in the second round. But again, this is why you're hanging on to these dudes. Even Jordan Poole was a little bit better in this ballgame. He did no peripheral stuff, but at least he didn't shoot all that poorly. Kyle Kuzma, you guys know my stance on Kuz, and you guys can keep arguing with me all you want, but I've watched him long enough to know that the stuff we were seeing from him and have basically seen for this season so far is just not who he's been for his whole career now. Meaning... The 47% from the field and 82 and change at the free throw line, those are numbers that are just likely to come down. Maybe the field goal percent stays a little higher, but I don't expect that free throw to hold. And when it does, then you see the tapering. He's already down to number 72. And it's not the counting stats that are doing it. He's being held by percentages that, to me, feel like ones he probably can't. So the nice thing about Kuzma, and we've had him on the sell-high board a couple of times, so I don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole, but because he's scoring 23 points with six boards and five assists and two and change three-pointers, you could probably trade for someone who is very close to him in rank because most people don't think that he's a traditional sell-high, and that's fine. Jakob Pertl's right nearby, Yusuf Nurkic right nearby, Jared Allen... I don't think you're trading for Zach Levine, who just got ruled out for another month, unless they trade him before then, because then he'll probably play wherever he goes. DeMar, Vooch, these guys are all in the 60s. You could probably get most of them for Kuzma. Let's keep moving. Memphis, gigantor game from Desmond Bain. Gigantor game. Launched himself up back inside the top 20 on the year with this one. He's now number 19 per game. Only, however, five more games until Ja comes back. So at some point here, Bane is going to take a small hit. And look, let's be honest. I mean, we know there's going to be a hit. We just don't know exactly how large it's going to be. He's probably not going to be inside the top 20 once Ja Morant comes back. He'll still be fine. He's not like it's going to turn Desmond Bane into a bad fantasy player. But if you can move him right now for someone inside the top 25 or top 30, I think I would try to do so. If you can't, that's fine. He's still going to be good. He's just not going to be quite this good. JJJ, 24 points on good shooting with three blocks. Little by little, baby steps are being... Now, obviously, playing against the Pistons helps, but there's a couple good ones in a row for Jaron Jackson. We had him on the buy board a couple of times when he was hovering in the 90s, and then he dropped outside of the top 100, uh, and now he's back into the 70s. Just a few good ball games is all it takes. I don't know that anybody else, healthy at least, on the Grizzlies needs to be rostered right now. Basically, everyone else split the minutes almost evenly. There are like six or seven other guys that all played about 24 minutes in this ballgame, which means that's not really enough for any of them. The closest, you might argue, I know John Conchar had the best fantasy game yesterday, but we're talking more about sort of the, the aggregate, would be Santi Aldama, who played 26 minutes. That was the highest mark of anybody not named Bain or Jaron Jackson in yesterday's contest. And we also know that Aldama can put up some fantasy stats. So if you have a roster spot, you can hang on there. I don't think you have to, though. Jalen Duran, another ankle injury. He made it at least to the end of this ballgame, basically, before having to come out with it. Uh, Basketball Monster says he's out five ballgames. That's sort of an educated guess. Uh, we haven't gotten a report on it. Presumably, it'll be a couple, at least, because he has lingering ankle stuff, and they're not going to push him. 
Not when you've got a team that's losing no matter what you do. What we don't know is who the hell is going to play for him. Because Marvin Bagley's been completely eliminated from the rotation. James Wiseman finally saw eight minutes of action yesterday. Uh, they could just go small. You might see them go small. You might see Isaiah Stewart as the full-time five. And if that's the case, then he would be a pickup because he's been terrible playing as a power forward. But I don't know. There's been no indication as to what the next thing they're going to try is in Detroit. And losing Duran is is pretty crushing because... He was actually a plus two in this ballgame that, as you may recall, they lost by 14. So, rut row. Bad gets worse for the Pistons, who haven't won since October. Well, at least Boyan Bogdanovich is kicking butt. He's definitely not on waiver wires anymore, so hopefully you got in there and stashed him before he came back. Jaden Ivey has five defensive stats to show for his 24 minutes in this game. I'm not trusting him if he's coming off the bench. Killian Hayes played 27 minutes at 12-4-4. and I think you could probably hold on Hayes. I'm not super excited about him because so far in his young career, the fantasy game hasn't really uh, fleshed itself out yet. But he is starting, and we heard Monty Williams say that he's going to shorten his rotation, so I don't know if that means that you know more minutes for Hayes, maybe more minutes for Ivy. Hard to say. Regardless... There are some questions now for the Pistons, one of them being Azar Thompson and whether or not he's ever going to play decent minutes again. I'm going to assume the answer is yes at some point, but he's been benched here, and I don't expect that to magically flip in the next ball game. but you never know. Here's the thing. We had him on our cell board, not uh, two days ago, but the previous week, Azar Thompson. He was already falling, and I was like, this dude's going to fall farther because he's a rookie, and he hasn't even really hit the rookie wall yet. And then it got way worse because he got benched, and his minutes got cut in half, basically. I think he's going to get dropped in a lot of spots, and I don't think it's that crazy to drop him if you have him because you probably need somebody on your team that's actually producing something. problem, of course, is that we've now seen what he can do when he gets actual playing time, and we'd all feel a little bit silly if he was on somebody else's team when he starts playing decent minutes again, which I have to believe will at some point come back around this year. So if you have Thompson, do whatever you can to try to stash. If you don't, watch the person who has him like a hawk, because he may end up on your waiver wire. Another early injury from yesterday's card was Jalen Suggs, and this one was kind of stupid because he turned an ankle or kind of like landed awkwardly while going for a steal, and it almost seemed like the ankle flexed backwards instead of to the side. And then he tried to play through it, which is just like the ultimate idiotic move. Someone should have been like, Suggs, you've been hurt your whole career so far. Don't push it right now. They were down like 20 points at the time too. But then he tried to play through it, elevated to get a block shot, which he did block, by the way, so he ended up with two steals and a block in yesterday's game. But it seemed like that ankle was hurting even before he landed on that jump for the block shot. Either way, he was not moving well. It took two players to kind of shoulder carry him off the floor. I'm going to assume he's out for a little while. We don't have a, a report on him yet. And people are like, Dan, do I go pick up Gary Harris? Uh, he doesn't really have fantasy game anymore. There's a fleeting possibility that Gary Harris could put up fantasy numbers. Fleeting. But even when you look at his games this year, even when he's gotten 28, 29 minutes, it's been iffy. You know, yesterday you ended up playing 31 minutes off the bench. He had 8, 3, and 3 with a steal. He's just not a focal point. If he gets hot, that's the only way that it happens. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Boo, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly. The go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits. Then get them delivered right to your watch party. 
Compare prices across multiple stores in your area. Find the best deals on game day drinks and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Kind of a threes and steals streamer, but not much else. The real end result of this is that uh, Jalen's or uh, Cole Anthony is is just going to have more on his plate, and you saw it already yesterday. Nineteen seven and two with a steal and a couple blocks. He played thirty two minutes. Even while Cole Anthony's been hot lately, he hasn't been playing typically this many minutes. Twenty nine seems to be the number that they've kind of landed him on. But he's almost going to have to get in the 30s now. You can expect low 30s in minutes, which makes him very much a play in all formats. He already was because he'd been running so hot for about two and a half, three weeks. Uh, but now there's like there's nothing standing in his way. That's Cole Anthony we're talking about. Golga Batadze and uh, Mo Wagner in this battle for center minutes. It's kind of turned into like bag of sand against bag of sand neither one of them ended up being useful there was a stretch there where Goga looked like he could ha- kind of hang out near the edge of the top 100 but even that doesn't feel like it's necessarily set in stone you-, you can do better elsewhere and we'll tell you where in just a game or two and nothing really on the Cleveland side other than I'm still getting questions about whether or not I think Max Struess can keep it going I, it's like still number 57 we're two months into the season now. He had five fouls, by the way, in yesterday's game. If you wonder why Struess's minutes were down by like three or four. George Niang also played a little better. Every once in a while, you get that big Niang game, and Struess loses three or four minutes. But not much to worry about there. And then Jared Allen had horrible foul trouble. He had five fouls in 19 and a half minutes. If you're worried about that one, that also contributed to extra Niang. But don't worry about Jared Allen. He's He's been fine. He actually put up an okay fantasy line in this one other than the four turnovers, in only 19 minutes anyway. The Zombie Heat knocked off the Raptors, who really, I mean, this is kind of an embarrassing loss for Toronto. Heat were without Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo, and kind of trounced them. The Robinson Twins, that's a joke, by the way. I'm fully aware that they're not related. Orlando Robinson filling in for Bam Adebayo at center. He's a great fill-in play right now, because we know Bam is still a couple games away. And I think Orlando Robinson is floating around on most waiver wires because everybody's looking at it like, you want me to pick up who? But he's had three games this year, Robinson has, where he's played basically 28 minutes. There was another one where he played 26, and even that one was pretty decent. If you look at the four games, screw it, we'll just log them all, where he's played 26 minutes or more, his numbers in those were 11-7-7 with a steal, that was in 26 minutes. In 27 and a half minutes, he had 14, 9, and 2 with a steal, two blocks. And his last two games, 16, 5, and 3 with a couple of three-pointers. And this most recent one, 15, 12, and 4 with three steals, a block, and two threes. He looks like a juicy, juicy stream play right now. And I am fully blown away that he's not more universally rostered for as long as Bam is out. Orlando Robinson looks like he has some serious fantasy game. So add him in as many places as you can because I believe the last report we got on Adebayo, and we can check on this, but I'm pretty sure that he got ruled out for a whole week. Anywho, Duncan Robinson, also a stream while Tyler Hero is out. Caleb Martin is a little bit more iffy. He had 24 and 12 here, but he's been, he sort of appears and disappears uh, fully almost at random. This was like the Caleb Martin we saw in the playoffs for the Heat last year. He's played big minutes in, you know, basically five consecutive ball games, and he's been able to score a little bit in those. Uh, but this was the only one where the peripheral stats were usable. Um, he did have a seven-rebound game if you go all the way back, like four or five games back. So if you want to stream Caleb Martin, I'm not totally against it. I'm a little bit against it because he's running super hot right now. He shot 50% or better in five consecutive ball games, and we've seen when he can when he really starts cooking, like the playoff Caleb Martin, that he can be a hell of a fantasy play. But unfortunately, he only has three steals and a block over those five games. The assists have been, like, you know, whatever. The rebounds have been okay, but mostly it's been points, threes on good field goal percent. And that, to me, is like, 
eh, maybe makes more sense in head-to-head than Roto. It's not like quite enough categories for me to really take the plunge, especially because the field goal percent could cool off at any moment, and then you don't have those other categories to fall back on in a way that, I know this sounds crazy to say, Duncan Robinson is actually putting up some stuff in other categories besides just threes. Even Kyle Lowry, who had a terrible ball game here, he's been streamable with Tyler Hero out. I think we might be seeing a little bit of the shine come off of Jaime Jaquez Jr. And it's to be expected. Young dude had all the adrenaline in the universe for those first few ball games. He still played okay yesterday. But the rebounds have tapered, the assists, the steals, all that stuff, that the energy stuff is tapering as he starts to sort of get those, we call it, kind of walking in mud a little bit now. All that to say, I think I like the Robinson streams, Lowry, and then if you need threes and some points, you probably go Caleb Martin. Josh Richardson also played 31 minutes for whatever that's worth, but uh, he's a guy you certainly trust more when Jimmy Butler's out. For Toronto, OG Ananobi finally, finally with a really nice ball game. He's going to need a few more to get anywhere near where he was drafted, but he's a guy we've had on our buy low board, so it's good to see some of those coming around. Pascal Siakam also had a nice ball game. He's also been a pretty obvious buy low. The question more was like what the price on him I don't think was quite low enough. Uh, and then, you know, not surprisingly, Scotty Barnes is is not going to be able to put up those ridiculous numbers every single ball game. He's still number 14. It's been an unbelievable start to the year. I just, I feel pretty strongly that Scotty Barnes is going to end up falling back towards 25. Again, still very, very good. Uh, but if you can get somebody inside the top 20, I think I probably would for him. And then the one that was making me feel like a total idiot was Dennis Schroeder, who has now fallen outside the top 110 after his hot start. He's been outside the top 150 for the last three weeks in a row, and I no longer feel like an idiot. Thank goodness. Great head-to-head play for points and assists and some free throws, but very weak in a handful of categories, and that's what's been weighing him down. And Dennis Schroeder is now back exactly where we thought he would be. Phew! Ended up getting that one right. Just a weird path to get there. Brooklyn over Atlanta in a game that had over 40-40, lead changes in it. That's one of the most ever since lead changes in a ball game were tracked. Kind of a fun little stat. Uh, Cam Johnson rolling along. He was another one of those by lows who I thought we were able to get even after he had already jumped from like 120 up to 90, I still thought he was a buy low. And he's been rolling top 50, 55 range the last two weeks. And I still don't know that anybody's even really noticed. Dorian Finney-Smith has been serviceable off the bench. I don't think that he's uh, a roto play. The guys you probably want me to talk about are Spencer Dinwiddie and Cam Thomas, who both had their minutes down in this ball game. Actually, a lot of the Brooklyn players had their minutes like semi-shaved a little bit here. Uh, bench units were having good runs, so they got a little bit of extra run. So don't worry too much about that. That's why Dennis Smith Jr. got a little extra, and Finney Smith got a little extra, and De'Ron Sharp got a little extra, Royce O'Neal got a little extra. I have been saying on this pod for a week that I'm worried about what's going to happen to Dinwiddie when Cam Thomas comes back. This isn't really how I thought this was going to go. Cam Thomas was always someone that was going to run either extraordinarily hot or extraordinarily cold. This terrible ball game dropped him down to number 94 on the season because basically all he's doing right now is points and free throw percent. Steals, blocks are low. Assists, rebounds, low. I guess threes is okay. And, you know, that's enough because he's been good enough in those categories to where it, it's floated his value. But when you're only good in two or three categories, and if you have a bad game in those categories, it it really looks bad. And that's sort of what happened here. But you're obviously holding on to Cam Thomas. You're holding Dinwiddie, although I will repeat again, historically, he doesn't have the world's greatest fantasy game. Low field goal percent, free throw percent, that's kind of a net neutral, which is unusual. Guys that have low field goal and take a lot of free throws, usually they're guys that kind of help you in one or the other. He doesn't really help you in either one, and he hurts you a lot in field goal. Turnovers tend to be on the higher side. He's been able to keep those down so far this year. But he reminds me a lot of Dennis Schroeder. He'll get you points, assists, 
not the same free throw percent, but better three-pointers than Schroeder. But it's hard for guys that are only good at a couple categories to stay high enough rank-wise. And so I do still have this feeling that Dinwiddie's going to end up back outside the top 100. You guys can yell at me all you want, but we've watched him long enough to know what he is when he's not getting super efficient looks right next to Luka Doncic. And that is a guy who's high usage, but sometimes hurts more than he helps. You're almost definitely holding him in head-to-head also, but I'm not playing Dinwiddie in Roto right now. If I had him on a roster, I wouldn't play him. And against the game's cap. I will say it again, and I know it actually is harder right now than it has been before. Uh, Onyeko Kongwu remains a hold. Uh, I know. He's been very bad the last week because he's just sort of not doing anything in his time on the floor. His steals and blocks are lower than we need them to be. Kind of need the field goal percent to kick back up a little. He's dropped into the mid-50s. Um, it is what it is. Clint Capella's been healthy so far. We don't usually see Capella play two consecutive months of basketball without missing a ball game, but that's what's happened to this point. So Capella's inside the top 65, and Okongwu's in that 120 range. And that's sort of what it is. Okongwu's a 90 to 130-ish range guy when Capella's healthy, and he's top 40 when Capella's hurt, which is tough, because how long can you sit on a guy like that? Well, if he's running cold, if you're in Roto, you can go ahead and bench him. Head-to-head, I think you got to hang on, because you know at some point the juice is going to be there. And in the meantime, it's not like he's been so bad that he's killing your team. He's just sort of like right outside everyday play. He's stream level with ridiculous upside. Sadiq Bey seems to be enjoying life without Jalen Johnson, although the Hawks as a team are not because they've stopped winning without Jalen Johnson. Womp womp. Spurs finally realized that Jeremy Sohan at point guard wasn't the answer and then face palm time nope not Trey Jones at point Chetty Osman now technically he's not the point guard technically Devin Vassell was the point guard but Osman led the team in a six assists with six Trey Jones was second on the team with five in his 23 and a half bench minutes did this lineup work any better the answer is Minnesota didn't look like they were taking this game all that seriously. So you got good ones from Vassell and Keldon Johnson, and you my you know my take. Anytime those two guys put up a big ball game, I think you try to sell on him. Wemby finally slowed down in a ball game, but obviously he'll be fine, Victor Wembanyama. Nobody's trading him anyway. He's number 33 right now. He'll be bouncing back and forth depending on percentages and things of that nature. Uh I saw a couple of analysts talking about how you wanted to like hang on and see what happens to Sohan. He's outside the top 200 for the year. I don't know that anybody was still hanging on. So, no. Um, and then Zach Collins, I like that he took 20 shots. I don't like that he only made six of them. He's also a hold, but he's kind of a tougher hold also. Spurs are god-awful. Tried to warn you guys about this going into the season. Do you remember when they won like two games early? And the media was like, Spurs are coming for a play-in spot. And I was like, yeah, no. Nobody, like, look. There are a lot of pretty good analysts out there. But you really do have to watch this a lot. It's not a a two-hour-a-day thing to be good at this. It's more. I don't usually try to get up on the high horse on that one. But you can't be a mess-around analyst. And I'm not talking about fantasy. I'm talking about, like, all the way across. Because there were a lot of people that looked at this team and they were like, oh, yeah, they're going to be fine. No. Wemby's rookie year, you think they were going to be gunning for anything? Hell no. Anyway. uh, Rudy Gobert has bounced back. He had two really good weeks to start the year, and then he had two kind of bad weeks, and now he's back to being good again. It's a weird back and forth that seems to be based heavily on his free throw percent. Mike Conley just... Zooming along, doing what he did in Utah, but kind of with a team that I would say appreciates it more, if that means anything. He's number 66 in 9-cat. He has a 6-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio this year. Crazy. Anthony Edwards came back. Nikhil Alexander-Walker continued to start at small forward, continues to do nothing. 
Uh, Nas Reed is on one of his little heaters right now. I think you can play him until he decides to take a week to sort of regather his strength. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with playing a guy who's a hot hand. That's what Nas Reed is right now. Chicago wins again! I know it's the Hornets, so it's not like you're going to really celebrate this, but the Bulls have been markedly better without injured Zach Levine, and that's, of course, one of the big pieces of news is that Levine yesterday got, quote-unquote, re-evaluated, and they decided to just shut him down for another three or four weeks. I guess the foot isn't feeling any better after one week off, or, you know, I guess the paperwork on whatever trades are being processed didn't come through quite yet. In any event, uh, we'll do Bulls before Hornets in this one, even though that's not the order I normally go in. Um, Kobe White it continues to be a very good play. Once Levine went down, he's been killing it. Uh, DeMar, just waiting on DeMar's free throw percent to work all the way back up where we know it's going to be. Once it does, he slides up the board pretty easily. Alex Caruso's a play anytime he's healthy and upright. The questions I think people have on this team right now is what do we do with Patrick Williams and or Io Sunmu? And my thought is Patrick Williams has been good enough over the past really like uh, not not really since Levine got shut down, if you want to call it that. Uh, he had a couple of really good ball games when both Levine and Demar or Caruso were out, and he's sitting at like top one fifty over the last week and a half. But a lot of that's because he's gone, uh, I think, two for six at the free throw line or something like that. Um, so it's kind of sort of artificially weighing his numbers down. The other stuff is actually pretty good over that stretch. So I think you could make an argument to just stash Patrick Williams now. It doesn't seem like Zach Levine's going to play another game for the Bulls. That's certainly the direction this feels it's moving. If they keep winning ball games, they might see what a team looks like. And I know that's what uh, AK Karnasova said that he wanted to do, which is let's see what we get back for Levine and let's see if that makes the team any better. It still feels like they kind of have to blow it up. But if that's going to take more time then that's the type of thing that could push Patrick Williams back outside the realm of usage. Like, what if Zach Levine gets traded to... I have no idea. It doesn't sound like that that many teams really want him right now. But let's just throw a team out there and say the Lakers. Who would go back? I think it'd be D'Angelo Russell and probably, you know, one of those wings. That would hurt a lot of guys. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the Lakers want to go that route. In fact, Lakers played pretty well last few ball games since they've had their wings healthy. So I don't know that... And it sounds like they're more interested in Caruso or DeMar. But anyway, i just throwing a hypothetical out there. Guys that come back create log jams. So Kobe White's the obvious one. Williams, I think if you have space, you could do it. And he's been barely playable in most formats lately. But we kind of need one more usage guy out of the way. Whether it's DeMar or Vooch or White. Caruso being gone frees up more minutes, which is useful, but we just need Patrick Williams taking shots. Shots, 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 shots. Hey, quickly here, because we're a little more than halfway through yesterday's card. Uh, now that a nice chunk of you are actually watching and hanging out in the chat room, I, I swear to God, I'm never going to be healthy again. Uh, please do take a moment to like this video and subscribe, because there's many hundreds of you that watch this over the course of the day, sometimes thousands. Uh, if you're talking about the YouTube side, just hit the like button. It means a big deal. Do it now while you're watching. Just a quick little scroll down, punch that button, then come right on back up. And also, shout out to our friends at manscaped.com. Promo code there is ethos20 to get 20% off and free shipping on whatever you order at manscaped.com. Get a handyman, an actual electric razor, the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, which pretty much does all things in one. It's amazing. Waterproof, hour-long battery life, two light settings so you can make sure to illuminate the right part of your face if you have to shave where, I don't know, my apartment. We have a uh, southern exposure in the living room, but the bedroom window points just basically towards another apartment building. So it's dark as hell in here. It helps me a lot to have a damn light on my sideburn trimmer. Or you could just get the shears. If you want to get something small, that luxury nail kit, I, I promise you guys, I promise you, it is... The best nail situation that I've come across. I like it's just we use it on everybody in the household now, kids, adults, whatever. Anyone that comes through, guests, we're just like, let me clip your nails with this. It's so good. 
I cannot say enough good things about that luxury nail kit. That's the Shears. Again, everything 20% off with free shipping. Promo code ethos20 at manscaped.com. Check them out today. And again, please do hit that like button and uh, follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris, especially for those that are new to our proceedings. And I have to treat every show like there's at least one new person. Even if we're two months into the year, you just never know. Chet Holmgren almost had a bad ball game yesterday, and then he went up with and blocked six shots. Kid is good, man. Boy, am I glad he was the only name we put on the young person part of the old man squad. Uh, Jalen Williams cooled off a little bit in this one. In fact, the Thunder as a team basically cooled off, other than Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, but Jalen's still a top 80 play over the last week, week and a half, so he's been coming on. I'm not really worried about it in any way. And man, I, I just like... I was tweeting about it, but I feel like it needs to be said. I know Shea Gilgis-Alexander is the number one player in fantasy. Lately, he feels like a top five player in real life. He's fully unstoppable. He's fully unstoppable. He's shooting 55% from the field right now, 93% at the free throw line. I don't know that there's anybody in the league that's been more efficient than Gilgis-Alexander. Not Embiid. Not Jokic this year, because Jokic isn't making his free throws. And in fact, after Jokic's bad shooting game yesterday, Shea is ahead of him in field goal percent this year. On the same volume. It's crazy how good Shea's become. He is fully unguardable. Fully unguardable. He's taken this Thunder team, which, look, I'll give you, they have some decent talent, but, like, there's no other star on that team. That's Shea and some like above average role players and Chet is solid, but he's not a superstar. Jalen Williams, solid, not a star. Lou Dort, decent defender, but meh. Josh Giddy, eh. I know they lost yesterday, so it's weird for me to going into a Thunders rant after a loss, but that team is 13 and seven this year, basically on Shea, who's missed one ball game so far. And that's going to be the key for them. If he plays 70-some-odd ball games, they're going to have a good record at the end of the year. So far, so good. Aaron Holiday went nuts for the Rockets. Didn't see that one coming, and it'll probably never happen again. So shuffle along. Dylan Brooks had his first good ball game since, I don't know, last time they played the Lakers, usually. That's when he wakes up. And then uh, Alpern Shangun had one of those, like, ooh, all ball games yesterday where all the counting stuff looked pretty good and then you got across the board and you were like well I wonder how he did at the free throw line and uh oh Shangu had gotten worse at the foul line I, I did not see that one coming um, and it's weighing his stats down because the counting stuff is amazing he's a 21, 9, and 5 and a half 0.9 steals 0.8 blocks that's not bad either 54 from the field that's also solid but a high volume now, 65% at the free throw line, and that's why he's number 55 in 9-cat. He wasn't drafted as a punt free throw guy. That's the problem here, too. If you drafted him, you were like, ooh, we're going to get like a smattering of everything. And he's gotten better in all the stuff. And you were like, this is all wonderful. And then fell off a cliff at the foul line. I don't know what's going on there. Sort of yipsy. Anyway, um, he's an interesting one. Because if you think free throws are coming back for Shangun then you buy. But if you think this is what he is, you probably sell because his points, boards, and assists are so juicy right now that you can probably sell for a player ranked higher than him, especially if you find a team that either doesn't mind that he stinks at the foul line this year or is already punting that. So it's this weird occurrence where you could sell up. Again, if you think the free throw number comes back, though, then it's a buy. What do I think? I have no idea. None. There's no way for me to know. And saying anything else would be just pulling stuff out of the sky. So Dallas beat Utah by a couple of points. Oh, 50, was it? Oh, uh, f sorry about that. Um, it would appear that Utah might need a couple of their uh, scoring threats back. They don't have any right now. Larry Markinen and Jordan Clarkson are both out. They ain't nobody left that can put a basketball in a hoop on this team. And it's going to make everybody terrible because uh, defending a bad offensive team is not that hard. Keontae George did have 11 assists yesterday, but he was absolutely atrocious in everything else. 
and he continues to be exactly what we've said, but I'll repeat it again. Head-to-head, he's a long-term stash, and you just pray to the fantasy gods that he doesn't put up a game like this one. Roto, he's a drop. Omer Yurtseven is a stream at best. Walker Kessler is a buy low, in my opinion, right now, because people still don't think that he's going to come on. But he gets much better when the team gets healthy because he can just go and operate off of them. He can get offensive rebounds from, you know, Clarkson and Markin and stuff. He could defend better because, I mean, well, okay, so look, Dallas is always going to be curtains on an opposing center. Uh, but Kessler's a buy low. And what else is there? I know I thought Colin Sexton might score 15 points in this game, but he shot 0 for 4 from the field, so burnt. John Collins was not good. The whole team was just terrible. But the story here is they need someone who's competent on offense in there because it allows everybody else to operate a little bit more easily, too. On the Dallas side, Kyrie Irving and uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. both came back yesterday. Hardaway actually had a pretty good ball game in only 22 bench minutes, but we know how he runs hot and cold, so ignore. Uh, a lot of folks were trying to convince me that Derek Jones Jr. was a safe play. I don't think he's a safe play, but with Grant Williams and Josh Green out, it does kind of feel like he has to get enough minutes to be playable here. Certainly on the head-to-head side. I don't think that I would risk it in Roto. Uh, only Roto plays for this team, obviously Kyrie and Luka, and then Derek Lively is also a start on the Roto side. Nikola Jokic, human it would appear, took 32 field goal attempts yesterday and couldn't make them. He had, with it, he had a triple-double, but it, the, I mean, this was truly one of the worst Jokic games that I can remember. Believe it or not, he was still a plus one in a game they lost by nine. Uh, the bench just got wiped out for... By Den- or, uh, for Denver in this ballgame. Um, starters were solid. Jamal Murray came back, played 29 minutes. That's more than enough, so get him fired up. Reggie Jackson is now an easy cut. And that's probably the whole story on the Denver side. For the Clippers, James Harden just getting better every ballgame. I mean, this is the thing. This is why you were able to buy low after the trade, because he had some down ball games. I still can't believe that I was able to draft this dude, James Harden, in the 50s and 60s in those last few drafts before the season started. And I know what you can say, Dan, you didn't know that he was going to get traded that quickly. No, we kind of did. Because he was a dark cloud over the 76ers, and they just couldn't afford to let it go that way. So they just had to make something happen. He's a second rounder now. On the year. Last week and a half, two weeks, I think. Is it two weeks or a week and a half? Uh, where is he at over that stretch? Was it week or week and a half? Last week, yeah. Last week, he's also a second rounder. Last two weeks, mid-second round. It just feels like he's getting better in every ballgame, too. So, ride it out now. Paul George bounced back in this one. Kawhi Leonard was a little bit quieter. Not bad, necessarily, but a little bit quieter. And, uh... I keep getting teased by Norman Powell, who played 32 minutes and had a pretty full stat line. I don't know, guys. I don't know. I, every time I think he's a go, then he's not. Every time I think he's not, then he is. I, I think you can probably leave him alone, but for a schedule play on Powell, that's probably the easiest way to handle this one. Uh, I don't think you need to add him, especially when you've got these other guys getting hurt that's creating streaming opportunities. So leave it alone. Anthony Simons came back for the Blazers, and then Malcolm Brogdon went down for the Blazers. And if you thought, ooh, does this mean Skylar Mays is going to play again? The answer is no. Because they're going to roll point Scoot and point Shaden Sharp and point Anthony Simons. So you don't need to add Skylar Mays. I still don't think, well, you know, you guys know the deal with Scoot at this point. He's uh, learning the NBA speed. He won't be good for another month or two. He's a luxury stash. Shaden Sharp played 42 minutes. He basically has no choice but to play every second of these games right now. Uh, now, again, with Brogdon out and Jeremy Grant out and DeAndre Ayton was out for this ball game, So you had a lot of weirdness for the Blazers. Plus, on top of that, Tumani Kamara fouled out in 27 minutes. Jabari Walker fouled out in 22 minutes. Uh, and Reith almost fouled out. He had 5,022 minutes. So what does that mean for the next one? Honest to goodness, we have no idea. 
Anybody that says they knows exactly how the Blazers are going to run their minutes, no. We have an idea, a small one. I shouldn't say no idea. We have a little one. Matisse Thibel picked up a few extra minutes when everybody fouled out. He's interesting because, you know, if he gets 30 minutes, he'll put up four defensive stats, but we don't know if he's going to get 30 minutes in the next one. Uh, we don't know if Aiton's going to be back for the next ball game. Pretty sure Jeremy Grant's going to miss another one. Brogdon, I have no idea if he plays in their next ball game. So what do you do? Well, you start Simons because dude took 27 shots in this one. You probably start Sharp because there's just so much usage even though his percentages often stink and he has these sort of young player efficiency issues, he's probably going to do enough stuff in 40-some-odd minutes that it kind of doesn't matter that he's inefficient. He just has enough things to do with all these guys out. If Brogdon plays, you start him. If Aiton plays, you start him. And probably leave it at that. And then if we look over at the Warriors' side, Chris Paul came back. He played 21 minutes. Wasn't very good in them, but he'll be okay. Uh, Andrew Wiggins also came back, played 28 minutes. He was terrible again. We had that one good ball game from Wiggins, then he mashed his finger in a car door, and he couldn't keep the good vibes rolling. I truly, I think you can probably drop Wiggins and then just pick him up if it looks like he's getting it going. I didn't draft him anywhere. I did pick him up in one league where he got dropped after that big ball game, but now I'm inclined to feel like maybe I should just drop him again, especially because Steve Hur came out and he's like, look, our like our starting unit isn't working. And right now, it feels like Wiggins would be the guy to take the hit there. I don't think that they bench Clay Thompson. He's sort of too much of an icon for the team, even if he's been kind of terrible. He has been top 90 the last two weeks prior to this one. So Clay's at least been closer and if Wiggins gets benched, then he definitely isn't a fantasy play. Moses Moody would probably take his spot. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it's just bluster or if Kerr is actually going to move some bodies around. Jonathan Kaminga had a really good second half in this ballgame. He didn't play in the first half. Does that buy him some extra playing time? Does he get in there? Warriors have some unanswered questions. And perhaps the next ballgame will afford us an answer. Tonight's card is a short two-gamer. It's the semifinals in Vegas. The games start early. They start about four hours from this moment as I'm recording the podcast. Indiana, there really isn't anything other than stream stuff, which if you guys are interested, sure, you could stream Obi Toppin. You could stream Aaron Neesmith. Uh, but then everybody else is a little bit iffy. Uh, TJ McConnell and uh, Andrew Nemhard split like 14 backup point guard minutes in the last ballgame. Uh, Jalen Smith is out, or he might have been the guy to look at. So, Bucks, uh, Portis is a stream-level guy. And then, you know, maybe campaign Marjan Beauchamp could be distant streamables, if only because this week is super weird. Pelicans don't really have any streamables either anymore. Now that Trey Murphy's in there and McCollum's back. They've got sort of a top six, and then everybody else is scraping at the ground for whatever's left. Najee Marshall, Dyson Daniels, Jose Alvarado is probably the closest to playable because at least he gets steals in limited minutes. And then the Lakers have the same problem as the Pelicans. They just got a bunch of guys healthy too. Cam Reddish came back. Rui Hachimura came back. Jared Vanderbilt came back. Jackson Hayes came back. They got four rotation guys back. In a week, Pelicans got two rotation, three rotation guys back in a week. Having that many rotation guys is bad for fantasy purposes. It's good for the team. Teams got better. But for those of us that were like, oh, maybe we can get Cam Reddish in 30 minutes. He might get me two steals. Eh, nothing is guaranteed anymore. If the matchup doesn't work, they'll go another direction. So anything you're streaming with these teams, and you know those, some of those names I threw out there, Reddish, Torian, Prince... Hachimura, these guys you could play this week, today, basically, because everybody's in overflow mode tomorrow, 13-game Friday. But these are not guys that even make the stream board once we hit a normal week. These are very fringy. These are, you know, 150 to 200 range dudes. That's like, you're not getting very much out of that. Maybe later, 150 to 250. So the look ahead to tonight is not all that thrilling. Games are at 2 and 6 Pacific. 
There's like an hour and a half break, basically, in between the two ball games. But uh, it's the tourney. They're playing on the same court, so I think they want to give a little bit of a respite in between, let the teams come in, change locker rooms, all that stuff. Uh, and that's why the schedule's a little bit cockamamie today. But I love it. I love having afternoon basketball. It's literally the only good thing about the COVID bubble is that we had games going all day. They started at noon and they ran until the end of the night because there were only two courts and they were getting seven, eight games in. That was amazing. Everything else about 2020 was awful. Truly horrible. Except for that. Oh, and that all of our Los Angeles teams won championships. That was pretty good too, I guess. But, ugh. But at least there were games all the time. All right, we're 50 minutes in. This is longer than I thought we'd go. I will do five questions. Normally, I do them chronologically, but when I run out of time like this, I want to try to find the questions that apply to as many people as possible. Uh, here's one. Thoughts on Amen Thompson in Houston. Would I prefer to stash him or Jaden McDaniels? Well, uh, Amen's playing in the G League right now, and I know he put up a giant line down there, but there's no room for him in Houston unless about three guys get hurt. So, Jaden McDaniels, because... He's the guy between these two that might see an NBA floor in the next couple of weeks. So there you go. Uh, let's see. We talked about Patrick Williams. That was uh, one of the ones I covered during the show, and it's also in the chat room. Uh, here we go. Uh, hey, Dan, big fan, first-time caller. Ha, very funny. Um, <laughs> it's like doing an old-time radio show. Is it better to get a one-game up today with a streamer or try to get someone better on the wire? That's a really good question. This is very much matchup specific. So I'm in a matchup, also standings specific. So I'm in a league, I'll use this as, I, as an example, where I had fewer games than my opponent four of the first five weeks. The only way I know this is because I was like, man, I feel like I've had fewer games. Then I checked and I've won turnovers basically every week. That's nuts. That's like just not something that happens in head-to-head. -head. So then it gets to this week. Uh, consequently, I didn't get off to a very good start in that league. And it's 11 categories. So if you're down in games played, there are even more categories for you to lose. Because field goal made and free throw made are also in there. So if you're down in games played, like you very easily could lose 7-4 to four every week. So for me, it was more important for me to try to get an extra ball game. Even if that's like, even if it costs me a slightly better player, I need to try to squeeze out a categorical win, any little categorical win coming back because I, I like, I just, I've had horrible luck so far. I'm in another head to head league. That's a Yahoo public league. This one where the games played this week are relatively evenly matched. And looking at my roster, I think I'm going to beat my opponent and I'm in like fifth, sixth place. Uh, my team had some injuries the first two or three weeks. So I got off to a bad start, but the last two weeks has been good. That one, I'm not doing any extra streaming today. I just streamed the one guy. One guy. That was it. So uh, look, in, look at your surroundings. Look at your standings. Look at your matchup this week. Try to figure out kind of a short and a long-term view, and that's how you can make a call on this. But again, it's, it's different literally for every team, and I've done it two separate ways. I'm only in three Yahoo head-to-head -head leagues because you guys know I hate them, and I'm playing two of them on completely opposite ways. Uh, let's see. Quick Shohei Otani thoughts, Dan. Where is he going to go? I think he's going to surprise everybody. It's going to be a dark horse team. But it really can't be because there's only like four or five teams that are willing to give $600 million to a baseball player. I think, I said it on yesterday's show, I think the Dodgers were purposely sabotaging their own chances at him. Uh... Because they'd rather go for like two or three top line starting pitchers instead of a guy who can't pitch until uh, next season. But wherever he ends up, Shohei Otani is the most amazing player I've, I think I've ever seen. I'm 40, so maybe there was somebody better before that, but he's the most amazing thing I've seen in baseball ever. And he's one of the most amazing things I've seen in any sport ever. Guys shouldn't be like, he's. There's no higher league for him to play in. Two-way guys. They, that's like the best player on your college team where everybody's like, oh, yeah, this guy, like he's going to be a big leaguer someday. That's what Shohei's doing to big leaguers. If he could stay healthy. I know, not a basketball question, but it was sort of a fun one. 
Uh, let's see here. Anything else that applies to everybody? Mm -mm -mm -mm. Should I... Nah. Oh, should I drop OB Toppin for Scoot Henderson? This is an interesting question because it brings up this idea of like, OB Toppin is going to be probably like a top 140 guy basically forever. He's been top 60 the last two weeks because Indiana's had a bunch of guys get hurt and he had like a like a three or four game stretch where his shot was going in at a super high clip. He's shooting 60% on the year, by the way. Um, or do you pick up the guy that you think could have like top 50, 60 potential the last month and a half of the season? I'm inclined to go the top in route because lately he has been like an actual usable fantasy player. We don't know how long Jalen Smith is going to be out and you know, maybe Toppin continues to shoot this really good percentage. It's possible. Maybe he plays his way into an extra one or two minutes. All of these things are possible. I wouldn't say probable with Rick Carlisle at the helm. But I go Toppin there. I prefer the short term uh, because I'd, I'd rather play, try to get myself towards that one or two seed on the head-to-head -head side. And then in Roto, uh, you know, Toppin's actually playable right now if you're at a game's deficit. And if you're running ahead in games played on the Roto side, then you probably go the other way and, and you go with a stash because you basically don't need that roster slot. Is Okongwu still a hold in a 10-teamer? That's a good question. I think the answer there is no. 12-teamer, yes. 10-teamer, no. Should I drop Dennis Schroeder to activate Jamal Murray? See if you can trade Schroeder for a top 100 guy whose appeal is not quite so localized in one category. <laughs> Would you drop John Collins for Tyus Jones or Herb Jones? What is Herb Jones doing on the waiver wire? He's been a top 40 player this year. He's number 30 right now. Absolutely drop for Herb Jones. And I would actually probably take Tyus Jones over John Collins also. Uh, and that is probably where we'll put a pin in it. 56 minutes, I think, is enough. Plus, I got a busy day. I got a play-by-play -play gig tonight. So if you guys uh, are interested, I call some Division II college basketball. It's uh, Cal Poly Pomona. Maybe somebody watching went there. It's so much fun. I love it, but I got to drive out there early in the day because traffic would take me like three hours if I wait until closer to rush hour. So I'm not. But... If you guys want to hear more Dan, that would be the way to do it because that's like, you know, three and a half, four hours of broadcasting for a little little back-to-back -back there. I think I saw one last question I wanted to do before we wrap this up. Uh, this one's a good one because I think it may apply to multiple people. Uh, Walker Kessler or Derek Lively, who has the better upside for the fantasy playoffs? So you guys are forcing me to open up my, uh, my schedule grid while we're talking on air here. First of all, it's going to have something to do with when your playoffs are. Utah, uh, starting after the All-Star break, they go 3-3-3-4-4-3-4. So if your playoffs are late, Utah has a really good playoff schedule. Dallas, unfortunately, has a two-gamer right smack in the middle of that. But if your playoffs start before that, they go 4-3-4-2-4-3-4. So if you somehow dodge that one week, Dallas is the team you're looking at. Um... Unfortunately, if that two-gamer slips in there, then that makes them sort of a tough team uh, for a lot of purposes in playoff leagues. Kyrie and Luka, you're in real trouble if you have those guys as, as sort of your top dudes with a two-gamer. You're going to be in survival mode. Uh, lively in a two-game week come playoff time might not be what you'd call a traditional start. Now, that said, um, if you dodge that, then they've got two sets of 11 on either side. And that same week, Utah has four games. I think most of us, I've been telling everybody to try to end their season at least three weeks early. I don't know how many people have listened to that, but that would mean that Utah goes 3-3-4 in the playoff weeks, and Dallas goes 3-4-2, which is the same number of games, but a clunkier way to get there. That would mean in your finals, then you'd have a two-gamer out of Dallas. I think I'd prefer Walker Kessler is the short answer to a long, short version of a long answer. Um, but 3-4 out of Lively those first two weeks, and then maybe you end up dropping him in the two-gamer. Eh. Again, it depends a little bit on what your playoff weeks are, but hopefully that was somewhat helpful. 
All right, everybody, have a great Thursday. Uh, tomorrow, I think we're going to have two shows. I'm actually really excited about this. We should have a little Dynasty show that'll be sort of like a pocket, you know, 20-ish minute specialty thing. I've been wanting to get that going for a really long time. Uh, we'll be talking to Mark Camaro on that show. We'll also have our big weekend review episode. Like, please take a second to like the show. It's not that hard. Wherever you take in the pod, please subscribe. Find me on social at Dan Baspris. Really look forward to continuing the conversation over there. And uh, enjoy the early start today. Should be fun. So long for now. We'll see you tomorrow.